you really feel a pressure and obligation to meet that expectation and to create something of value and satisfaction to them that's going to help them. And I think it's uncomfortable sometimes when things just don't match up and a person has a problem that you may not be able to solve with the tools in your toolbox. And really to, to embrace the fact that we are flawed and we have limitations of what we can do and to accept the fact that we need to work comprehensively as a team. We're really open to ideas of Eastern style medical philosophies and all the acupuncture and the chiropractic care and various kinds of holistics and naturopathics and having the ability to see different clinical problems through different eyes and different filters, mm-hmm. I think is a really important part of creating connection with, with patients and, and a lot of that trust. Welcome to Bucket List Careers. I'm Crystal Laurie. In this episode, we're talking to Brian Giordano, who you just heard from. He's an orthopedic sports medicine surgeon whose focus is on achieving peak performance and resilience to injury. And he's the kind of bucket list career guest that figured out exactly what he wanted early on. So this is not as much of an emphasis on the big job pivot as we are digging into his mindset and how he's overcome adversity to get to his dream gig. Because without real mentorship or connections to the medical world, Dr. Giordano faced pushback and was even told not to bother applying to medical school because he wasn't quote-unquote pedigreed enough. So Brian shares what he did to ignore that toxic naysayer energy. If I've learned anything from the guests on this show so far, it's that there will be roadblocks in various forms, often people who will try to shut your dreams down. And in some cases, you might be your own roadblock. So finding the source of what's delaying your launch is the big takeaway here. Let's listen. Dr. Brian, welcome to the podcast. Krista, thanks so much for inviting me. It's such a great opportunity. <laughs> I'm laughing at myself because I'm not sure what it is about doctors. Like even in this informal setting, I need to say, hi, Dr. Brian, instead of welcome, Brian. <laughs> well, I, I want to give you full disclosure. I, I kind of joke around and say to my friends that I, I really don't feel like I, I, I kind of don't deserve to be a doctor at this point. I kind of feel like I don't deserve to be called that. Stop. Despite it, the fact that it's like 14 years past high school, you know, once you start to narrow the focus of what you do, you really become in a lot of ways, almost like a kind of a glorified technician as a surgeon. Oh, come on now. You kind of lose some of the medical qualities to the uh, doctory aspect of it. I just think that's the way I was raised. You know, I have immense respect for the profession, but I will start calling you Brian, I promise. (laughs) (laughs) That's cool with you. You're actually the second doctor I've had on the show. The first surgeon, you specialize in orthopedic sports medicine. And, you know, you're the kind of bucket list career guest that's figured it out early, not as much of an emphasis on the pivot per se, you didn't do a career 180. You always knew what you wanted to do, but you've overcome obstacles to get where you are. And we want to dig into that mindset, how you got to your dream gig so people can learn from it. So I want to start by looking back at your early years. When did you have that aha moment when you said, I'm going into medicine? I got to say that I probably didn't have it always figured out. Growing up, I had a lot of respect for my background, come from a blue collar family and having having a lot of really connection and admiration for people that are technicians, they work with their hands. There's a finite product that comes from hard work that's done well. And whether it's construction work or it's it's farm labor or it's it's teaching, you know, as my my parents were, mm. I had that kind of appreciation. And there probably were moments that I could really see myself 
in those kind of fields, in those technical labor fields. But I think it was really the fascination over the field of medicine and and, and honestly, uh, an amazement for what people can do with and, and for the human body. Because really, if you think about it, if you really stop to think at what I do, it's an incredibly privileged profession. Mm-hmm. If you think about the concept of allowing somebody that you don't really know, who you're you're very unfamiliar with, based on the trust that you gain from a conversation or word of mouth or an online biography, for them to take a knife and cut into your skin with the promise of that alleviating some kind of discomfort or pain or optimizing some aspect of your function, it's a pretty amazing thing that we give that level of trust to the people that take care of us. And I think that was something that really enticed me to that field. It is unreal, that confidence. And you must feel a certain amount of pressure too. It takes a certain type of person. And I know you didn't have real mentorship or connection to the medical world growing up. So it makes it to me all the more improbable and impressive to see someone like you get to where you are. And you were even told not to bother to apply to medical school because you weren't pedigreed enough. I think that's what you said. Yeah, yeah. How did that affect you? It, it's a little demoralizing. I mean, you you get to a point where where you've you've worked incredibly hard to gain grades and to start to hit hit all the milestones and bullet points that are leading you toward that field, and right. you know, that interest continues to build. And as you get into this into this area, not coming from a, a medical background and coming from very supportive background, and you know people that were were all in on whatever I wanted to do. And really had a lot of respect and, and fascination for this field, but didn't really feel like they could they could help a whole lot with the exception of just kind of being there. It's a little hard to navigate that world. Hmm. The medical world is is incredibly confusing and complex. And there's a number of different avenues to to approach getting into into school. And, and there's so many different facets of medicine that are interesting. But I, you know, I really had my sights focused on on this idea of sports medicine. And, mm-hmm. you know, I probably became interested before, really before I even really understood what, what it really meant in modern times to, to practice sports medicine. Mm-hmm. We grow up as athletes. We, we envision our lives taking care of professionals and, you know, being on the field of these, of these elite teams. But for the majority of, of us in sports medicine, what that really means is taking care of this broad continuum from these athletes who are scholastic level athletes, all the way to high-level collegiate and professional athletes. And the time that I spent in Los Angeles working with some of the professional teams, I really felt like that was like the pinnacle of pressure, working with agents and trainers and $100 million athletes is, is an incredible amount of pressure and the margin of error is so fine and small. I always felt like returning back to an area, even in an academic practice, nothing would ever compare to the level of pressure there. But what I really found yeah. was once you get in into these communities, it doesn't matter if it's a scholastic athlete to those parents and those families and teams, that kid's just as important as your, as your elite professional level athlete. And the pressure is just as great. Did you feel you enjoyed one or the other more? And do you now work more with one section in terms of athletes that are younger versus these actual professional team type members? Being in upstate New York, in Rochester, New York, being in a smaller, a smaller city area in an academic practice my practice is so broad and the sports medicine patients that I see could be weekend warriors, burnt out ex-athletes. They could be, mm-hmm. you know, athletes that are striving for a professional career. And I really, really have like absolutely the utmost respect for, for physicians that deal frequently with professional athletes in that world. And it's, it's such a microscope and it is such a, it's such a hot light when everybody has the ability to look at you and judge you and play backseat driver in the management of these athletes. Oh, sure. 
was that the hardest part of doing it in LA when you were there? How long were you there? That was a year, a year when I was in my my sports medicine fellowship training. So that's a, a an additional year beyond our residency. Okay. Training. The big secret behind medicine is that really medicine does not have all the answers. Physicians are flawed and we're we're kind of bound by a lot of science that there's really a lot of conflict out there, whether it's musculoskeletal care and sports medicine, whether it's medical care, you know, it is not binary and there's not a lot of black and white answers. There's, there's a lot of science out there to support a lot of different ways of, of taking care of things. It's a long, arduous road. My oldest is in college right now and she's actually considering pre-med and I know she has absolutely no vision of the light at the end of the tunnel. But like, I would imagine when you get there, that light is blindingly brilliant, right? So enough analogies of light, but what is it that lights you up? Well, in, in what we do and in, in surgery in particular, it is very, very emotional. You know, it's a very emotionally connected. I think if you really, truly are passionate about what you do and you're invested in your patients for the right reasons, you absorb a bit of their pain, their suffering, and, and, and you really kind of get into their lives and you, and you have a sense of ownership over them. And in particular, I can remember an average local lacrosse player, elite kind of level player who was headed for college and he had, he had a lot of pain and and he was brought in specifically for a diagnosis and to have a, a surgery. And we looked at his MRIs and stuff and, and everything seemed to match up. And we were ready to tee this kid up for surgery. He'd really been through all sorts of conservative type treatment. Yeah. And, and on the day of surgery, I remember I came in and I, and I saw him and just like the other six or seven athletes that had had operations that day. But something just felt a little different about this kid. And hmm. he was in a lot more pain than than you typically see with this kind of thing. And and there was just sort of a level of desperation. And we often talk about our gut feel with things. And, you know, there was just kind of a bad gut feel and it just didn't fit the, the usual picture. So I kind of went back and looked at everything ahead of time. And, and probably about five or 10 minutes before we were about to go back, I just noticed some very subtle things in his MRI and, and went back and, and had a conversation with one of my partners who said, you know, there's something a little funny about this. Why don't we take a step back and have another look at this. And it would have been the easiest thing in the world to just go ahead and do this, this young kid's operation. Right. But we listened to our gut and we stepped back. We ended up getting a new MRI and he ended up having cancer. Oh my gosh. He had a giant tumor within his pelvis that we, we found. And sadly, this, this kid going from being a high level athlete who just was ready to have a surgery to get him back on the field was then within a week in the operating room to have a, a giant tumor removed. Wow. And the kid unfortunately ended up passing away within a, within a year. I'm sorry to hear that. I think those kind of vignettes, those anecdotes really remind us of just the amount of compassion that you have to deal with and the, the personal interaction with patients and their families and what makes you important to communities. And it's, it's not always about getting them on a field, making them run faster, pitch faster. It's about being a good, just advocate for their care, somebody that's a good overall physician. 100%, yeah. And I think that was something that really touched me and has always influenced the way I've done things. When you said you could have just gone ahead with it, right? But something told you to stop. I mean, I, I wonder if that sort of ties in with what I read about you, something that you said that you have a fearless commitment to being comfortable with things that are uncomfortable. Can you speak to that and what we can learn from that? Yeah, I, I think one thing you have to be prepared for as a physician is to say that you don't always know the answers to things. And there's people that come to you as a surgeon and they're really looking to you as the kind of the peak level of expertise. But really, there's a lot of trust. They come to you with a lot of hope mm. and you, you, you really feel a pressure and obligation to meet that expectation and to create something of value and satisfaction to them that's going to help them. And I think it's uncomfortable sometimes when 
things just don't match up and a person has a problem that you may not be able to solve with the tools in your toolbox. And right. you know, really to, to embrace the fact that we are flawed and we have limitations of what we can do and to accept the fact that we need to work comprehensively as a team. We're really open to ideas of Eastern style medical philosophies and all the acupuncture and the chiropractic care and various kinds of holistics and naturopathics and having the ability to see different clinical problems through different eyes and different filters, mm -hmm. I think is a really important part of creating connection with, with patients and, and a lot of that trust. Well, when we talk about takeaways as we do on this show, what would you say is at the top of your list of achieving your purpose career-wise? Do you believe in that actually, that everyone has sort of a professional purpose? Yeah, I definitely do believe that. And I think that that is something that not only gives you professional meaning, but it also enables you to leave a bit of a legacy because once I'm gone, it doesn't matter how, how important I, I was, how many innovations I created, how much I taught. The goal and the purpose is to leave the field in, in a better place than hopefully it was before. And believe me, you know, the medical world right now is, a, is an ultra challenging place for a lot of different reasons. Being at a place that's a teaching institution, we have the different pillars that we, we try to commit to with the research that we do and the teaching that we complete. Yeah. But then also just the professional fulfillment of taking care of people, seeing people in a clinic, recommending care that's both surgical, non-surgical. That purpose continues to be evolving and it's always in a very fluid state for me. When I first started, I just wanted to survive, you know, I, I just... <laughs> I just was hoping to do a good job and really to just make my mentors proud. Whereas I think now looking toward the future, where can we innovate? Where can we grow? Where can we make advancements? And how can we continue to navigate this super complex medical environment that seems to be always changing? And mm -hmm. we talk a lot these days about mental health, mental wellness. You know, we, we hear it in our professional athletes. We hear it in our, in our actors and actresses. And, and I think that is challenging when you absorb a lot of the emotional and the the mental pressure of medical care, yeah, it really does become something that you cannot help but take home. It can be emotionally depleting sometimes. So you're talking about mental health awareness among your colleagues in your field yeah. and maybe working towards more programs for that? Or what would you like to see improved? In the medical world, we tend to focus on so many other things. We tend to prioritize our own needs and our own selves last in that. And yeah, our lives are so diversified, and they're and they really are pretty stretched between our clinical care and then our, our own families, and and then just personal interests and our own recreational hobbies and things. And it, it it can be tough because you can't shut your job off when you come home. Right. You know, nowadays you come home and there's an entire patient portals and a list of phone calls and emails, and and it's very hard to shut it off and to have enough left to to really give everything you have to your your kids and families, and you you feel like you're constantly switched on there really needs to be a continued professional focus on, on how to sustain ourselves through that. That makes a lot of sense to me. Also, Donate Life America is close to your heart. I know you lost your father a couple of years ago, and you hope to emphasize the message with anyone listening that organ, tissue, and blood donation is such an important thing to think about. Are fewer people doing that? Is that something that you need to be championing more so? What would you like to see more people doing? It's just such a simple thing to get involved with, whether it's blood donation, platelet donation, plasma donation, and you know, with, with COVID patients that have had COVID. And it's such an easy thing to carve out an hour of your day to get in and get involved. You know, I personally am on the bone marrow donor registry, something that is so life-altering and so life-changing for so many people. 
I've had the fortune of having close friends who who are actively involved in this process as well and really championing and advocating that. And nurses within our surgery center that have donated kidneys to complete strangers. And I really think that's such a selfless way to live and to and to consider others and amazing the intense challenges and struggles and heartache that they go through sitting on donor lists and wait lists and it's just some, something so selfless that can have such a huge impact on other people. And my father, having passed away of, uh, of glioblastoma, which is a form of brain cancer, he was able to donate corneas. And that's something that, that I think that was really such a selfless sacrifice and you know, something that I, I really believe in, in his memory and honor and others is, is important to, to remember. Incredible. This has been really fantastic. It's just an honor to have you on the show. Is there anywhere online to learn more about you? So we're kind of in my area of expertise. So in sports medicine, you can become as granular as possible. And some people are shoulder surgeons uh, as a specialty. Some people are more focused on knee art. The primary focus of our practice is in uh, sports hip surgery. So we have a we have some social media presence and a Facebook page. It's University of Rochester Hip Preservation. It's just an area to learn about different kinds of hip injuries and some of the procedures and some of the educational and awareness messages that I think are important for things like exercise and sustainable fitness. And there's there's so many different limbs yeah. to this from wellness and prevention to, to treatment and post-operative care. So we're, we're proud to start to slowly kind of get some of that information out. So much out there. All right, everybody, go check it out. Dr. Brian Giordano. In this case, I can say Dr. Brian Giordano because I'm <laughs> formally saying thank you once again for being on the show. It was a lot of fun to have you. Krista, thanks so much. I really appreciate the opportunity. Awesome. Take care. I'm really enjoying growing this community of Bucketless Careers with your support. And don't forget, you can always email me guest ideas, any feedback at all. We love it. Krista at bucketlesscareerspodcast.com. Be well and thanks for listening. An ironic media production. Visit us at ironicmedia.com.